So I'm glad I came across this in one of the commentaries I was looking at. Somebody has called this prayer a prayer for people who have everything. Because remember, in the section before this, he said, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. You have everything. Those are the things that really matter, and you have them. But then he goes ahead and prays for you anyway that you'd have some more things. So it's a prayer for those who have everything. The previous section, the 202-word run-on sentence, was profound, deep, theological, meaty, weighty stuff. Some of you might have been staggering some Sundays like, it's a little much here, Heartland. Um, This section is as light as that one was meaty, at least the part we look at today. It's as light as that was meaty. So if you're here for your first time and you're thinking, oh, this church is light, all right, just hang on. It'll get meaty again, Lord willing, but it is lighter today. So here's where we start. First thing I want you to notice in this section is that Paul prays. All right, you see that? Because it says, he says, I'm remembering you in my prayers. So Paul prays. Let's note that. The implication is going to be, and so should you, because he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, imitate me. So we want to note that, well, Paul prays. There's something I need to imitate. And I'm sure he was a very busy man. He was actually in jail. Wasn't the best of circumstances. He had a lot on his mind. There was a lot going on. There's a lot of churches he's concerned about. But he has this thing called my prayers. Do you have that thing? Do you have a thing that you can call my prayers? There are times when you pray. Every day you have my prayers. Paul had this thing called my prayers. So Paul prays and we should pray. It's that simple. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's one of the things you do. You pray because you have a heavenly Father who invites you to pray. So I was born in 54 in Gettysburg, PA, and I have an earthly father. Been very blessed to have him. He's still alive. He's about to turn 94 in February. And we talk almost every week. Almost every week, I'll call him, or more often, he calls me, and I love it. And we sit there and talk, and sometimes it goes long. We like to talk about the books we're reading. We like to talk about sermons we're listening to. We like to talk about um, stuff that's in the news. We like to talk about art. It kind of goes all over the place. He likes to talk about the church, what's going on in your church and all that. And I love getting to have that time almost every week talking with my father, because he's my father. Well, I also have a heavenly father. And hate to say this, Dad, you're wonderful and all that, but they watch all these. Hate to say this, but he's an even better father. I don't hate to say that. It's true. He he is the great father. He's the father of my soul. And so just as much as being born physically puts you in a position where you like to talk to your father, So being born again puts you in a position where spiritually you like to talk to your heavenly father. He's your father, and fathers are awesome to talk with. And the fact that now I am allowed to address the sovereign one, the sovereign of the universe, listens to me. I get audience with him. Like, I don't think I've ever had audience with an earthly president 
No president has ever called me, Steve, you want to talk to me? Anytime, here's the number. I don't think I've ever met an earthly king, uh, been to Buckingham Palace, didn't even see the queen. Um, I haven't had audience with any great dignitary on the planet, but I can talk to the sovereign of the universe anytime. It's pretty amazing. So Christians pray. Maybe some of you aren't yet Christians and you're wondering, well, if I become a Christian, what will that do to me? Well, a lot of things. One of them is it'll give you a heavenly father whom you'll love with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And out of that love, you'll want to commune with him. You want to have fellowship with him. You want to talk with him. He, here's the conversation. Here's how it goes. He talks to you in his word and you listen and then you get to address him in response in prayer and he listens. It's an amazing relationship and you'll love it. So that's the first thing we're noting. I told you it was simple. Was that simple? Paul prays. You should too. Start now. Don't say, well, I'll wait till next January 1. That'll be a resolution. No, no, no. Start now. Let's see the next thing. Paul prays to a magisterial God. Notice how he addresses the God to whom he prays. Ephesians 1, 17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you. So he could have just said, I pray that God would give you. And there'd be nothing wrong with that. There are prayers in the Bible that just address God as God. No more verbiage, no more descriptive terminology. I, I love it. Some in, the, some in the Psalms sometimes. It's, oh, God. Don't lose the O oh in your soul. Don't lose the O oh in your Christian life. Be able to pray, oh, God. So there are a lot of different ways you can address him. You don't need to make it beautiful and eloquent like Paul does, but I love this. He doesn't just say God. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father of glory. So you don't, you don't need to pray overly elaborately. You don't need to pray overly long for that matter. You can just say, oh God, if you want. I mentioned that because he used to be a man. He was part of this church. Great guy. He loved the Lord, but he was a character. And somewhere he got it in his head. I don't know where he got it. He got it in his head that when he was asked to lead in prayer publicly somewhere, he would always start his prayer with reciting just about every name for God in the Bible he could think of. Like he worked his way through the whole encyclopedia. Like he didn't say, dear God, please, no, no, never, never. It was more like our great, and it, and it was like our great heavenly Father, our God, our Lord, our Master, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lamb, our Sovereign. And he, man, he had it all in there. He'd just go all through this long list. And it was, it was kind of wonderful, but you found yourself thinking, I wish he'd just say, dear God. Like it was a little much. On the other hand, compare what Paul says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, Compare that to people who pray and call God Papa or Daddy. I know that's been popularized by some people. Maybe some use it. I'm not trying to give you a hard time here, but I want, you, I want to ask you to reconsider that. There's no prayer in the Bible where anybody says Papa, and the word Abba doesn't mean Papa or Daddy. It's more reverential than that. 
So I don't recommend at all that you pray, Papa or Daddy, I'd rather you pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, or oh God. What we're dealing with here is the fact that God is both imminent or near and transcendent and above. And if you have a huge dose of the near, the imminent, and not a lot of the transcendent, you might be tempted to call him Papa. And if you have a huge dose of the transcendent and not enough of the eminence, you might be tempted to start your prayers with every name for God in the Bible. Somewhere in the middle there, there's a balance. Somewhere in the middle there, there's the right, there's the right place. So just pray, oh God, or pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that's to whom Paul prays. So Paul prays, he prays to a magisterial God. Now let's note a third thing. Paul prays for spiritual things. He prays for spiritual things. Ephesians 1.17, that he may give you, here's what he prays for them, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's praying for spiritual things. There are two prayers in Ephesians. We'll hit another one when we get to chapter 3, Lord willing. And he does the same thing there. He prays for spiritual things for the people. Nothing mundane, nothing earthly. I'm sure they had earthly needs. I'm sure they had mundane needs. I'm sure somebody's cow died, somebody else, his kid broke his leg, and you know, on and on. There were earthly needs for sure. Paul doesn't pray for them. Not in these prayers, nothing earthly. Instead, he prays for spiritual things, that God may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Why does he do that? Because the spiritual things matter more. Because the spiritual things are the things that really matter. And so those are the things we really want to pray for. And I'm saying this because too many of us and too many of our prayers are too earthly, are too mundane. It's, oh God, please give me. Please give me the job I need. Please give me the house we're trying to buy and can't seem to get one. Oh God, and we're too earthly and we're too mundane and we're too physical things. And we don't pray like Paul prays in this prayer. What Paul says about our prayers in Romans 8 proves to be true. He says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And we don't. Our, our prayers are altogether too earthly, altogether too mundane. He says again, James says rather, you ask and you, you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You just want things. And you view God as kind of the cosmic dispensing machine, and there are prayer levers. So you put in your prayer corn and you pull the prayer lever, and you wait for the candy bar you're asking for to come out. And when it doesn't, you you're upset at the machine. Why doesn't God give me what I'm asking for? Because too many of your prayers are just about candy bars, treating God like a cosmic dispensing machine. So we should learn from the great apostle to pray for spiritual things. You pray for your wife, pray for spiritual things for your wife. You pray for your kids, what do you pray for most for your kids? Lord, may they be saved, right? I mean, do you, do you really care if they win the soccer game or if they be saved? Which one of those you want to pick? Yeah, 
It's okay to pray for all kinds of mundane things. The Bible says in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known before God. Pray about whatever you want, but mostly pray on the spiritual things because it's the spiritual things that matter. It's the spiritual things that are the, the will of God for our lives. So Paul prays. He prays to a magisterial God, and he prays for spiritual things. Let's be like Paul. Maybe this will transform your prayer life a little bit. It'll be more like spiritual things you're asking for your loved ones, spiritual things you're asking for your church, spiritual things you're asking for our world and for our nation, spiritual things. Let's pray like Paul and pray for those things. Next thing I want you to notice, not only does Paul pray for spiritual things, he also prays frequently. He says it in Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease remembering you in my prayers. Now, we also see in the text, and I won't point to the exact words, but he barely knew them. Yes, he'd been in Ephesus, but it had been about three and a half years, and there were a lot of new believers and a lot of people who became part of that church that he'd never met and he didn't know, and, and, and yet he says, I don't cease praying for you. So he doesn't cease praying for people he's never even met. Why does he do that? Because he's a kingdom man, and he cares about the church of Jesus Christ, and there's a church in Ephesus, and there are people in that church, and they need his prayers. So he prays frequently. I believe he's practicing what he preaches in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously, it doesn't mean sell everything, join a monastery, and do nothing but pray all day and all night till you die. That's not what the without ceasing part means. What does it mean? It means at frequent intervals, over and over and over and over and over, you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. Here's a, here's a little clue. When you do it that way, you don't have to pray very long. You just pray a lot. Somebody asked the great British preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, how long do you pray? And I love his answer. I'm on his team. He said, well, I seldom pray very long, but I'm seldom very long without prayer. That's pretty good. That's praying without ceasing. So it doesn't have to be long. Now, it can be long, and there are some very long prayers in the Bible, and this one's not short. So it's a good idea maybe to have one longer one in the day and then a lot of little short ones that come out all day long as you're walking with your heavenly Father, doing life quorum Deo in the presence of God. That's a great way to live. Some big seasons of prayer, a lot of little seasons of prayer. Paul prays frequently. Do you? Or do you kind of spend a whole day and then realize, you know what, I never prayed to God once. You need some work, my friend. You need to grow in your prayers and in your walk with your Savior so that you would be like Paul and you can say to somebody, you know what, brother, I don't cease praying for you. Is there anybody to whom you can say that? Is there anyone about whom you would say that? Oh, them? I don't cease praying for them. Let's all be like Paul and have some people we pray for incessantly. So Paul prays frequently, but let's notice the next thing. And Paul gives thanks in his prayers. It says in Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I don't cease giving thanks for you. This is very important. 24 times in Paul's epistles, he mentions he's giving thanks for someone. 
I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for them. I'm giving God thanks for them. I'm thanking God for them. He's always thanking, 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 thanking God for people, 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 people in his letters. He's practicing what he preaches. Again, in 1 Thessalonians, we read, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. Are you like, oh, I'm trying to find the will of God. You're poking around in the bushes. Is it in there? Is it in there? Where do I discover the will of God for me on this issue? Here's the will of God. In everything, give thanks. Be a thankful, 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 thankful Christian. 24 times Paul does this. He says, in everything, give thanks. What is there that is not included in everything? So in everything, give thanks. Bad thing happens, thank you, Lord, I know you have purposes. I know you have a plan. I'm gonna count it all joy because I know you're using this to change me. Good thing happens, good, thank you, Lord, for that. You're kind of like Jocko Willink. You familiar with him? former Navy SEAL, and now he's like a business consultant and stuff, and he's a general all-around super, super tough guy. And he's not a Christian, but he's onto something. In common grace, they, you know, a broken clock can be right now and then. And he tells people to have this disposition toward things. When a bad thing happens, he says, good. He's teaching everybody to say, good, because now I'm going to, and then you fill in the blank, good, because that's going to grow me, good. Because now I'm going to learn, good, because this will help me work on whatever, good, because now I can get better at that because I know I wasn't good enough. And to everything, you just say, good. That's not as good as in everything giving thanks to your heavenly Father. That's really good. So point at it, what's in your life right now, pray about it, and pray about it with thanksgiving. Christians are always praying with thanksgiving. We're not just praying, oh God, give me. Give me, give me. That reminds me of an interesting proverb. Proverbs 30 and verse 15 says, the horse leech. I guess that's a a leech that would get on horses to suck their blood. It says, the horse leech has two daughters crying, give, give. And we can be horse leeches in our prayers. And all we do is go into God's presence, give, 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 give. No, why don't you go in there first and say, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Make it your ambition to thank God constantly. Be a thankful person. Here's a little hint. It's way better than going through life grumpy. It's way better than going through life murmuring and complaining. It's way better than self-pity. It's thanking God. Some Christians are like the husband or the wife who's having a hard time with her husband or wife. So let's make it, it's the wife. She's having a hard time with her husband. And he's a really good man in some ways, but he's got a couple of glaring flaws, we'll admit it. But all she can see is the flaws. She can't be thankful for any of the good things. She's gonna ruin that marriage because he's got these two flaws. He won't pick up his socks. He won't put the lid back on the toothpaste. Can't stand this man. And she's gonna blow it all up over these two little flaws. And she can't be thankful for all the other things like, Women would line up to take your man. You know, if they could have him as a husband, they'd be lining up. Me first. I want him. He has a job. He brings home money. He doesn't waste it. He manages things well. He loves our kids. Yeah, but he doesn't put the toothpaste lid on. We can be like that wife. 
in our walk with our Heavenly Father. God didn't do this. God didn't give me the thing I asked for. God allowed this thing into my life. And can't you see how blessed you are and give thanks and thanks and thanks? Go back and read the first part of the chapter about all the ginormous spiritual blessings you have in Christ Jesus and live your life giving thanks for them. This is such a big theme in the Bible. I'm going to read some other passages to back up what, what little bit we have in Ephesians here. Let me read for you, and you follow, please, some of Psalm 136. And I'm taking this from the King James because I love it. It's more beautiful and magisterial. And it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth for... You know what? You should read this with me. Let's start again. You read it aloud with me, would you? It's God's word. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3. And you live that way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That ought to be coming out of you all the time. It ought to be. If it isn't, there's something wrong. Let me give you a few New Testament passages that back this up. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So there's peace in there. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Surely the Spirit of God is tapping somebody on their shoulder in this room right now and saying, you, be thankful. Be thankful. Or again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. That sounds like a pretty good life. That sounds like a pretty good spot to be in. And then there's Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What masterful composition the Apostle Paul gives us. It's amazing how he so thoughtfully puts things together. Brilliant, and I know it's the Spirit of God, but these are Paul's words, and they're God's word. So I'm going to ask you, right there, right there where you are, right where you are in life right now, right with what's going on in your life right now, are you a thankful believer are you a thankful follower of Jesus Christ? I had a seminary professor, Dr. Johnson. He was my first Greek professor. I loved Dr. Johnson. Actually, when I thought I might want to marry Debbie, he was the first person I went to. I met him in his office and said, I'm thinking about marrying that girl. What do you think? How do I know when it's the right time and all that? He was the first guy I went to, even before my parents, because I was at college and he was there. But anyway, we were in class one time and and he was talking about somebody who knew who used to say, well, under the circumstances, no, I'm not too happy. And he gave us a reply to that, that under the circumstances thing. And here's his reply. Under the circumstances, what are you doing there? You're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to be under the circumstances. You're supposed to be under God, under his sovereignty, under his providence, under his hand, working all things according to the counsel of his will. What are you doing under circumstances? You have a heavenly father, you have a God, and you're under the reign of King Jesus. You're not under circumstances. 
I thought that was pretty cool. It stayed with me for a long, long time. So be a thankful believer. Paul's in jail and he's giving thanks for people he doesn't even know. In the morning, because he's doing it without ceasing. In the afternoon, in the evening, he's giving thanks. I already mentioned it's better than grumbling. It's also better for your health. It's better for all the poor people around you. It's better for the glory of God. So cultivate thankfulness. Paul gives thanks in his prayers. Here's the next point. Paul prays for them just because they're believers. Let's read it, Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. That's why I'm praying for you. I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love, which means I've heard you're real believers. What's faith? That's trusting in Christ alone, coming to him through faith alone. It's salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's what it is. Trusting in Christ alone. What is the part about and uh, your love toward the saints? That's evidence that you're regenerated. Where does that love toward all the saints come from? It comes from a new heart that has new loves. And one of your new loves is, man, I just love believers. I mean, you want to love non-believers too, but you especially love believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, I know you're the real deal because I've heard you have faith in Jesus and I see the proof of it in the way you love saints. You love other Christians. And so for that reason, because I know you're believers, I'm praying for you. All you need to know to pray for somebody is to know, oh, they're a believer. By the way, all you need to know also is, oh, they're not a believer, and now you've got a different set of things to pray for. Anybody you know, you can be praying for, and that's all you need to know about them, and you can be praying for them. I wonder, do you ever pray for anybody who doesn't have your last name? We tend to pray for people who have our last name. That's good. You should. There's a whole slew of little ones who have our last name now. It's a lot of people to pray for. But we all tend to pray for people who are closest to us. Do you pray for people? Do you meet and care about and build relationships with and pray for people that, you, that, you don't, that don't have your last name? And you're praying spiritual things for them. Next, it gets even better. Next, and I didn't know what heading to put on this. It would have been too long. Anything I tried was too long. So all I did was put Paul prays and then here's the verse. All right? Here's what he prays. We're getting to the content now. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, now here it is, that he may give you the Spirit, rightly in capitals, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is what Paul is praying for. He's praying for spiritual things. Now we're looking at the spiritual things. What are they? What's he want us to have? What's he want them to have? What should we pray for one another? This is a good prayer. Pray that God may give them the spirit. Now, we just saw the spirit a couple of verses earlier. If you're a believer, you have the seal of the Holy Spirit. You're belonging to God. And if you're a believer... You have the guarantee or the, the arabon or the down payment of your inheritance, guaranteeing it for the last day. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit. But also if you're a believer and you have the Spirit, you get illumination. And that's what Paul's praying for now. He's praying that that Holy Spirit who is in you, that you have a big dose of the power of that Spirit, that you would have the Holy Spirit giving you wisdom and revelation 
but not just any wisdom and revelation. You might think he means, well, you know, wisdom. Let's see, do I buy the Honda or the Camry? Which, which one do I want to go with? I need wisdom. Oh, Lord, give me wisdom. No, no, it's not wisdom for personal decision making. It's that you would know about God's wisdom in creation, the fall, redemption, and glory. And that you'd be filled with understanding of what God is doing and how great he is. That's what he's praying for here. And he wants the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts that we would see more of the great cosmic eternal wisdom of God working his plan according to the counsel of his will. He wants you to be a believer who's gripped by that, who's rocked by that. Oh, the wisdom of God. And it's the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That's what we find in Scripture. And he wants you to have wisdom about how God's revealed in revelation. And it's all in the knowledge of him. This is wisdom that knows God. This is revelation that leads you to know God. Paul wants Christians to really know their heavenly Father. He wants us to know about God. I wonder if you read the phenomenal book, certainly one of those that is most destined to live beyond its era, written by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. I wonder if some of you read Knowing God. What a great title for a book. What's the book about? Knowing God. What's Paul praying for them, for you, for me? That you'd know God, that you'd see his amazing wisdom in what he's doing, you'd see his amazing revelation given to us in Scripture, and you'd be filled up with knowledge of him, knowing God. Paul writes similar things to the Corinthians. I I don't have the slides, I'll just read them to you. 1 Corinthians 2, he reads, uh, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. So there are mature believers, and we pass them wisdom. Again, a little later in 1 Corinthians 2, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. We didn't get it from Plato and Aristotle, but taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's what Paul's praying for. That's what's supposed to be happening in your life. Somebody's explaining spiritual truths to you, and you absorb them and love them and receive them you appropriate them because you are spiritual. And they, they lead you to know more about God, to understand more about what he's doing, what's going on here. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Let me put it this way. Part of the Christian life, the part Paul is praying for, is acquiring more understanding, more knowledge of God. That's a worthy endeavor. That's a good pursuit. I want to know more about God. So read J.I. Packer's book. It'll help you. Let me put it the other way around. There is no value to, there is no premium upon ignorance in the Christian life. Some part of the Christian life is about gaining wisdom, gaining revelation, gaining knowledge. Peter says this, 2 Peter 1.5. You have faith, that's great. Now add to your faith virtue, and to virtue add Knowledge. There's no premium on ignorance. There are things to learn. What will happen to me if I become a Christian? You'll need to start learning. That's what disciple means. A disciple is a follower, but a disciple is more so a learner, one who follows so as to learn. And you become a disciple of Jesus, and you want to learn from him. And the main thing you're going to learn is who is God. You're going to learn about God. 
Paul prays a similar thing for the Colossians. I'll just read it for you. It's not up there. Colossians 1.9. We do not cease to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Filled with those. And to the Philippians. Philippians 1.9. Not up there. I'll just read it for you. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. As followers of Christ, we are to grow in wisdom and understanding God's wisdom. We're to grow in understanding how God's operating things and what's going on and why it's all here and what happened. We're supposed to be Christians who understand God. By the way, your preachers and teachers should be feeding you that understanding. God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's understanding, 16 ounces to the pound, sturdy Bible teaching, demand it. If all your pastors take a ride somewhere in somebody's van and we all hit a Mack truck and we're all dead tomorrow, so now you all are going to find some new pastors, what kind are you looking for? Too often in our day, now I'm going to get, now you're going to see there is a little bit of a curmudgeon inside me. I'm going to let it show a little bit right now, just about like that. All right. I'm going to get grumpy a little bit. Too often in our day, the word that came to my mind, and I didn't even know what the word meant, so I looked it up and I have the definition. Too often in our day, it's pablum. What is pablum? The definition is bland or insipid intellectual fare. That's true. Too often we get the pastor as cheerleader, or the pastor as pop psychologist, or the pastor as pastry chef, sermonic cream puffs and little Debbie's, or the pastor as motivational speaker, or the pastor as life coach, helping you fulfill your destiny, destiny and fight your enemies like your boss. Or the pastor as entertainer. So one of the many podcasts I follow and listen to, and I listen to them when I'm at the gym. So that's what gets me to the gym. Oh, I can podcast. I'll endure the gym. It works. So I go there to listen to podcasts. I figure out before I go there, which ones am I going to listen to today? That's the exciting part of it. So one of the guys I listen to is like a pastor coach. He's nationally, maybe internationally, well-known, well-recognized. And he had a pastor who's risen rapidly to prominence in the U.S. lately. Church grew huge real fast. He had that pastor on his podcast. And I'm not exaggerating. Do any of you remember who Arsenio Hall is? This pastor was Arsenio Hall, except better. He was funnier he was an amazing, funny, entertaining speaker, and it was horrible. That's not what you're supposed to have. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul coming to speak? He wrote Romans. He wrote Galatians. Can you imagine him coming and he'd like outdo Arsenio Hall? I don't think so. I think he'd outdo Einstein. I think he'd outdo... Joe Rogan. I think he'd outdo, you know, some brighter people in the world. But we get the pastor as entertainer. What should you look for if all your pastors are in a crunch tomorrow? Look for pastor as butcher. Cutting meat on the chopping block. <clears throat> Serving it up. Maybe it's half raw. Oops, dropped it in the sawdust. Doesn't matter. Dust it off. They'll take it. Hand it out to you and you go, give me some more. That's how you people are. 
great chunks of Bible meat. Like, have you been to Fogo? They give you that card, green and red. You put up green, they keep giving you meat and meat and meat. After a while, I realize, oh, I got to turn that card, don't it? Meat's piled up, red. You go home in a meat coma. That's how we want you after church on Sundays. Some days it's lighter fare, like today, but we want you staggering, like, oh, man, there's so much meat. The Lord Jesus talks about this. I'm not putting these verses up, but in Luke chapter 12 and verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? That's what pastors are supposed to do. We're supposed to give you the right portion and the right time. Here's a right portion for kind of new believers. Here's a right portion, this part of my sermon, for people who aren't yet believers. Here's a right portion for those who want some meat just cut off at the chopping block. That's what pastors do. When you come to church, say to us, please give us our portion. We're hungry. And if all we give you is we can outdo Arsenio Hall, send us packing. All right? Again, in Matthew 13, I'm not putting this verse up, but verse 52, and he, Jesus, and he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So when you're a teacher, when you're a preacher, you're always bringing out some old things. They heard this before. You try and say it a little differently so they think it's something new, but it isn't. And then you bring out something new. They never knew that about Hebrews chapter 6. You explain it to them, and you give them something new. And Jesus says, this is what you do. You give them their portion of food at the proper time, and you bring out of your treasure uh, things that are new and old. By the way, it says he brings out of his treasure. So as a teacher, you have to have a treasure chest of knowledge that you've acquired, and you've packed your chest. I, I often, I'm going to switch from treasure chest to squirrels. I, I often think of myself as being a squirrel. I hope Debbie doesn't think of me as being a squirrel, but I do. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like a squirrel is always gathering nuts and putting them over there. Gather some more nuts and put them over there. Gather some more nuts and put them over there. And to be good at being a teacher, you have to be always, always, always gathering nuts. Another metaphor from Richard Baxter, English Puritan pastor in the 1600s. He said, uh, study hard for the well is deep and our brains are shallow pretty good advice. But honestly, folks, I'm going to be grumpy again a little longer. Too many sermons don't have anything for someone who's no longer in junior high. You know what I mean? I listen to a lot of people. I listen to a lot of local people because I want to know what's going on in that church. What's going on in that church? I check them out. I check them out a lot. What are they doing? I read what's on their websites. I want to know who's in the area. And too often I think, man, I wouldn't want to go there. Listen to Hebrews 5, and I have this on a slide for you. The author says, uh, you're not very sturdy Christians, so here we go. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice in the word to distinguish good from evil. All right, so he says he wants us to acquire, he wants us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge, and your pastors are supposed to help get you there. 
All right, we're going to stop at that point. Let me show you some things that are coming. Last slide, please, oh, slide man. Thank you. So next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at three things Paul wants us to know. And one is the hope of your calling. And two is the riches of his, of his inheritance in us, in the saints. And three is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. That's next week. Let me just summarize what we saw today. So pray. Pray frequently. Pray often. Pray for spiritual things. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray things like this. Oh God, give my son, my friend, my daughter, my co-work the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of God. Lord, give them that. Open their eyes that they may see wondrous things in your law. Well, amen. Let's bow and pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this portion of your word. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray often. And teach us to pray for spiritual things. Teach us to care about and pray for people we don't even know. And teach us to pray with thanksgiving. And Father, give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you. And Father, help us as a church to get the balance right where we can have light songs and light sermons, but where we have lots of heavy ones that feed us well. Help us to be a Fogo church, but to also be able to give each their portion at the right time. We're your church, Lord Jesus. Accomplish your will in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.